Welcome to the Learner Centered Spaces podcast, where we empower and inspire ownership of learning, sponsored by Mastery Portfolio. And I'm one of your hosts, Star Saxstein. I'm another host, Emma Chapetta. And I am Crystal Frommert. In each episode, we will bring you engaging conversations with a wide variety of educators, both in and out of the classroom. This podcast is created for educators who want to learn more about how to make the shift toward learner-centered spaces for their students, schools, and districts, or education at large. So get ready to be inspired as we dive right into the conversation with today's guests. On today's episode of Learner-Centered Spaces, we are so excited to have author and educator Laura Robb. Her latest book is Increase Reading Volume, put out by NCTE in 2022. Robb received NCTE's Richard Howell Award for Excellence in Middle School Teaching. With more than 40 years of teaching experience, Rob has written extensively on reading and writing. We are so excited to hear what she has to say on our next episode. Enjoy. Hi, Laura. We're so happy for you to be with us. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. I sure will. Um, I've been in education for more than 50 years. Um, And actually, I never got an education degree until I was teaching for about 15 years. I was an English major, but I learned most about teaching from my students. Uh, They were my first teachers, and they continue to be my best teachers. Um, I've taught uh, actively grades 4 through 8 and coached grades K through 10 over the years, and I've spoken uh, at conferences all over the United States and in Canada. But in my heart, I'm a teacher, and um, I still go back every year and work with students. For the last two years, I've been training a teacher who was my student many years ago. Uh, She invited me to be her mentor coach, and uh, I'm working with seventh graders Uh, which I love. Thank you so much for telling us about yourself. And I love what you said about students being our greatest teachers. It sounds like you really live by that student-centered, learner-centered mentality. So I'd love for you to just tell us what a learner-centered space looks like, feels like, like, sounds like to you. Okay. Well, for me, uh, a learner-centered space means that I, as the teacher, include my students in many decisions, such as seating arrangements, um, organizing groups that they're going to work in for a few days or maybe for two or three weeks, Uh, deciding on topics that interest them, I do a lot of expert studies, and I have in the past, we now call that uh, passion projects and genius hour, but um, I find that I can integrate everything, uh, every standard of learning uh, in the state of Virginia into an expert project that, so students are reading, writing, researching, interviewing, 
um, on a subject they really, really care about and a subject that sustains their interest. Um, we nego Negotiation is, is at the heart for me of student-centered work. I see myself as one of, one of the um, class leaders being the teacher, but also more of a facilitator. And we ne negotiate expectations, we negotiate due dates. Um, the, the children are in charge of their learning, which builds their sense of agency, uh, which builds their ability to make decisions and to be responsible. If the teacher does all the work, the students are very passive. They don't invest or engage in the learning. So for me, a student-centered class is exciting um, and a great deal of learning takes place. I so appreciate what you said about um, negotiation with the students and how that's sort of at the center. And I also really appreciated how you said that your expert projects can kind of cover learning standards at the same time, because I think that that's what a lot of teachers struggle with, is seeing that they can still turn over control to the students and address all of the learning targets that they need to for their curriculum. So thank you so much for that. Well, you know, Star, it, I always think of myself, um, even as a writer, and I know you can relate to this because you're a writer too, I want to, when I'm working on a book or I'm working on a blog, I have to feel passionate about it. Um, I have to feel that it's extremely important to me for me to invest the time and energy it takes to create a book or a good blog. And it's the same for the students. They're, they're, they, the more they are passionate about a topic, the more they want to study that topic, the harder they'll work, the more time they'll invest, and the more willing they are to revise and uh, take a look at, at their work and see how they can improve it. I, I totally agree with that, Laura. Like when I was in the classroom as a writer, I felt, first of all, like it it gave me some street cred with the kids as a writing teacher saying to them, like, writing is hard and it's it's easier when you're passionate about the subject air, you know the subject matter that you're working on and that piece that you just said that you know you you really want to feel passionately about the whatever you're writing about i find it much more challenging to write anything good when it's something i'm told to write and i think that thinking about that as a writing teacher too always being open to different ways we allow students to approach what they're writing is so important, uh, especially if we don't want them to ever have that feeling like I'm just not a writer and I'm not good at this. We want them all to feel like like they have the capacity to say what they need to say in their own voice in a meaningful way. And I just I really appreciate your commitment to putting kids in that place as well. Absolutely. Sorry. And it's the same for reading. The idea of choice of uh, who would and, and the and and the right to abandon a book if if, if it doesn't interest you. Uh, I remember when I was in school, I had to finish a book even though I couldn't stand it. Um, and uh, yeah, I was lucky that 
when that the first time that happened to me, I was already a very committed reader. Um, and I was angry, but it didn't stop me from reading what I loved, in addition to having to slog through a book that I really didn't like. Hi, Laura, this is Crystal here. Um, I'm wondering, you know, we have a lot of teachers who listen to the show and they might be wondering with all of this choice and, and grouping and project-based, how do you recommend a teacher assess the students and what they know and how they're meeting the standards? Okay, I'm a big believer in formative assessment uh, because the goal of formative assessment is students learning to support it, to improve it, to nurture it. And, and so um, for me, formative assessment includes my observations uh, of children at work. Um, I, all, all my students in reading writing workshop keep a reader's notebook and a writer's notebook. And so those notebooks are like gold mines to me because uh, if I read a few pages from each student every two or three weeks, I learn a lot about their ability to respond, to use evidence, to organize their ideas. Um, so the talking students do, I listen to. I read their writing. I watch them during mini lessons and I, I make quick notes when I have a minute about who asked questions that concerned me, uh, that perhaps I needed to hear a little bit more from that student who didn't talk at all over two or three days. In addition to my observations and my reading of the student's work, for me, formative assessment also includes student self-evaluation. And so I have developed with my students forms for uh, self-evaluating a student-led discussion, for self-evaluating their notebook writing, for self-evaluating uh, the uh, amount of reading that they're doing and enjoying. So it, it's a give and take between the two of us. And every two or three weeks, I, I, I stop, I pause, and I review my formative assessments and um, I, I'm looking for students who require support and students who can continue uh, to work on their own. For those who require support, formative assessment is a gem because you are catching them when maybe they're slightly confused. Instead of letting it go to a unit test when a, a small confusion can become a major obstacle. And so what I do um, as a teacher, and this is hard for teachers, is I will take a pause in my curriculum and I will decide which students need one-on-one -on -one from me or are there students that can work together as a group of four to six with me. Um, on um, maybe there, uh, all of these students are having trouble inferring or drawing conclusions. While I take that pause, it's the best investment a teacher can make. The groups are temporary. They end when the children meet the goal that both of you have set. Um, and then they have the, the strength 
the, the learning strength, the, the capacity to move on and be successful because I have taken the time with them to support them. The students who are don't need support at the point I'm doing an uh, looking at a, a, a range of formative assessments, they uh, do independent reading. To me, that is the most important thing students do. So the more independent reading they uh, get uh, time for, uh, the better it is. So what you'll find in my classes is that every two or three, and teachers I coach, uh, every two or three weeks, we take a pause to support children. Um, and let me tell you, if there's a child that shows me the first week that they need support, I'm not going to wait two or three weeks. I'm going to address it immediately in a one-on-one -on -one conference. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And I know that you and, and Star both uh, work with language arts and writing. And then Emma and myself, we work with math. And I hear a lot of what you're saying um, in, in the writing classroom with working with small groups and independent reading. A lot of that does transfer over to the math classroom too, um, because I completely agree with you that we wanna catch those small misconceptions and the errors before they turn into, you know, these huge beasts of problems um, when we have a unit test. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is definitely transferable to uh, across all disciplines. So thank you so much for sharing that. It, it is, the, the biggest problem I have with teachers is taking that pause. Uh, it could be a one day or it could be a two or three day pause. Uh, but what they begin to see is that once they unravel the confusions and, uh, and, and the student can successfully do complete the task, then they can move, the movement forward is smoother and probably a little faster. So, um, it, but in a student-centered class, we're not covering curriculum, we're teaching children. <laughs> and they're teaching the children in front of us and at that point in time, what their needs are need to be addressed. I love that you just mentioned that, Laura. This is Star again, that, you know, we're teaching children, not content. And I think it shows that you're a middle school teacher because I think elementary and middle school teachers really understand you're teaching a whole child and the um the con I won't say the concern, but the, the worry at high school is that there's so much content that needs to get taught and often, you know, at the expense of leaving kids behind, um, which obviously we know doesn't work, but is. Right, it doesn't. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's the next area that needs, that needs a lot of a good hard luck. Um, and, 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 uh, we, and, and it's hard, but, uh, I'm looking for a school that would ask me to help them, a high school change, make, make some significant change. And in my new book, um, Increased Reading Volume, I even show, I call it the core collection, that if you have to teach Romeo and Juliet or Mice and Men, then uh, you know think of all the themes in those books and find contemporary books that have similar themes and have the students read widely. They can read the core book, but they could also read three to four other books that are contemporary, that they will, that are relevant to their lives. 
and make connections uh, to, to the core book. There's, there are so many ways to address this issue of only everyone doing one thing at a time. Uh, we, we don't recognize the capacity of children, even little children in kindergarten and first grade, to do more than we ask them of, as long as we're, we're tapping into their voice, giving them choices, um, and making sure that they enjoy what they're doing. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you kind of preemptively got to where our next question was going to go in terms of advice or tips for teachers who, um, educators who want to create more learner-centered spaces. And I think the idea of giving that choice specifically over what they're reading and how, you know, how they're doing things, like you suggested earlier, are definitely important to repeat so many times. But is there specific advice for helping to build those learner-centered spaces that you'd like to share? Yes. I, I always, uh, if, if I'm working with a teacher-centered person uh, that, you know, is using worksheets and, and, you know, runs the class with an iron fist, I always start with independent reading. <clears throat> um, and I encourage them to build a classroom library or frequently go to the school library um, and teach children how to find a good fit book. Uh, independent reading should be 99 to 100% accuracy. So it should be fun um, and it should be on topics that uh, the child is interested in. Uh, when they see that children are using that time well, that's a first step. And then uh, I, I move them into formative assessments. And I think that's key. <clears throat> Without formative assessment, you don't know who gets it and who needs some extra help. And it varies and changes. I find that uh, I have a mix of students from all instructional levels when I'm looking at my formative assessments, because I might have a very able student reader who, who is having difficulty drawing conclusions, who needs to work with a group that we're, we're discussing that in depth and giving them extra time to practice and experience success. So the second thing I would move into is formative assessments, learning to observe your students, uh, reading their work, to learn what and I always, I, when, I'm, when I'm looking at a student's work, I have two columns. What can they do well? What areas, if any, do I think they need support? And the first time I, I, I organize groups or one-on-ones, I'm telling the kids that th these are things that I noticed that if we work on them now, their, their journey will be much smoother because they will have conquered something that seemed challenging and no longer will be challenging with extra practice. And from there, it's, uh, you know, it, the teacher needs to then learn to trust the children. I find that a lot of people that aren't uh, student-centered have a lack of trust. And they'll say things like, oh, you have to give a test every day, otherwise I'll never read the book. Uh, 
or uh, we have to give a lot of homework otherwise we, and, and, and collect it. Otherwise, we're never sure they're going to read or get their parents to sign that they've read uh, at night. I, I find that it's difficult, a difficult challenge when I'm coaching teachers, but it's something that I work on relentlessly with them because what they need to understand is that students will work very hard if they have voice and choice, if they have a say in the running of their classroom, they're there all day. And so to, you know, to like take the reins and boss them around, they're not going to grow. They're not going to become responsible. They're not going to become good decision makers. And that's true of any subject. <clears throat> I always tell teachers that you start slow. You work on independent reading and when things are, are flowing and, you, and the kids are really focusing and developing stamina to concentrate for 15 to 20 minutes, then it's time to move to bringing in formative assessments. I, teachers have to be in touch with their comfort level. And once they're comfortable with trying something and they feel that uh, they understand it and it's part of their, learn, their teaching process, then they move on to adding something else. Diving in and giving them too much I have always found um, it's a recipe for disaster. I think this is Emma again. I think that's such good advice. I think that when you're confronted with making a huge change in your classroom, it can be totally intimidating, especially if you don't know what's going to happen when you turn the trust over to your students. So thank you so much for all of your great advice. And uh, as we're wrapping up, my question is, do you want to shout out any people that deserve some more recognition for promoting learner-centered spaces? Well, uh, some of the people that I have worked with are, are uh, Jim Burke, who's a high school teacher who has changed the way high school uh, is taught, which I love. Um, also, Linda Hoyt uh, is a favorite uh, of mine and uh, Tim Rosinski with the work he's done on fluency and practice and performance uh, has really changed and, and, and made the, uh, fluency work a student-centered, joyful experience. Um, and that's what, um, that's what I, I'm looking for. Dr. Mary Howard, uh, who is uh, known for her work on response uh, to intervention and leading recovery has always been student-centered. For her, it's all about the students. Um, so it's, it's very gratifying and exciting to see education, educational leaders promoting this uh, in, in schools all over the country. And I, I believe that it is the way to go and it's the change that's needed in uh, education. Thank you for those shout outs. Um, where could our listeners find you on social media? I know I, I see you on Twitter sometimes and LinkedIn, but can you share uh, where we, everyone can engage with you? 
I have a Facebook page that they can look up. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active uh, on Twitter um, and LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me if you have a question from my website, uh, www.lrob.com. Uh, and I'm happy to answer your questions. I'm pretty good at turning it around uh, in 24 hours, which I think shows respect for teachers. Um, so, uh, and I welcome any any interactions that come my way. Uh, one thing I, I would mention is to give a shout out is I have an article on formative assessment and uh, flexible grouping, which is temporary grouping. Um, in the new issue of the NCTE Chronicle, and it's, it was should have been out in March. It's late in coming out, but it should be out by the end of this month, I'm hoping. And uh, teachers might find that helpful as they make their journey from teacher-centered to student-centered. I know our listeners are very much going to enjoy listening to what you're doing in your classroom and it's an inspiration, honestly, to, to all educators of all disciplines and all subjects um, and really all grade levels. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, and thank you for all the good work you do, Star, um, getting messages out to teachers and supporting them. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a very important part of change. So, uh, and it was an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much, Laura. Our team, um, Emma and Crystal, are also authors now, too. So it's it's pretty exciting to work with movers and shakers all the time. And I just, something I find very inspiring about you is, like, most people, when they're, like, you're, you're still going. You've been working for more than 50 years in education. You're still vital. You're still making changes. You're still comfortable, you know, just doing the hard work. And I, I'm, I'm very inspired and moved by that. Um, oh, thank you. I, I love teaching and I love being around children and uh, I'm not going to give it up unless I have to. So, <laughs> and I'm fortunate that I have places that I can go work in, which I, which is great. So sure. good. Thank you, Star. You, it, it, you know, we're a, um, a very small but I think precious community uh, that uh, that have such a strong common goal, and and that's what I believe is going to uh, inch its way into creating change in all subjects. Yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you for learning with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you'd like any additional information from the show, check out the show notes. Learn more about Mastery Portfolio and how we support schools at masteryportfolio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mastery for All and on LinkedIn on our Mastery Portfolio page. We'd love for you to engage with us. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or know someone who would be an inspiring guest, please fill out the survey found in the show notes. And we'd love your feedback. Please write a review on your favorite podcasting app.